I feel the pressure to end soon. That's what John told me. Knock it off. That's what he said. Almost in those same words. All right, let's pray. Father, we want to come in this final session today to ask you to give us uh, a special measure of the manna of heaven. We'd like to ask you to feed us and feed us well and full. And we'd like to ask you to help us digest your word so that it becomes the the nutrition for our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a a quote that is in a movie uh, by C.S. or uh, about C.S. Lewis's writings, and it's uh, it's one of the Narnia series. And uh, uh, they're talking. This little girl's talking, I think, to the beaver guy. And uh, she says, "Is he quite safe?" Because he said he's a lion. She goes, "Is he quite safe?" And uh, the beaver guy goes, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king. Now, I think that encapsulates and captures some of the greatness about God. There is this thing called the fear of the Lord. And you should understand something, that God means business. He means business. And, and he takes things seriously. Would you want anybody else that doesn't take things seriously? Don't you want someone who is, who is that, you know, solid and, and committed? You want him like that. This idea of fearing the Lord is not a scary concept. It's a right concept. But at the same, in the same breath, he's good. Almost so much so that all that phobia of God actually falls away and you just enjoy His presence. And that's what this is about. The goodness of God is what allows you to enjoy His presence. Now, if we had time, we should do another weekend on the Fear of the Lord series, which would be two weekends. But nonetheless, it would be a balancing act with the goodness of God. Now, what I want to do in this final hour is I want to take you to an example, and that example is Joseph. So we're going to talk a little bit about his life, and then we're going to map it out, and then we're going to end with his conclusion. This is important. It involves the last uh, over 27% of the book of Genesis, the life of Joseph. And so I, I think there was a message there. Uh, you know, almost a quarter of the book ends with this narrative, and this narrative, I think, it has a very unique message about the goodness of God. So I think it's important that we look at that. Now, I understand your study in Genesis, so, uh, but I think this chapter is quite a ways away from your series, so I hope I won't steal too much of your content. But I want you to think about Joseph for a minute. Now, remember, Joseph starts out chapter 37, and he is hated by his brothers. Now, I want you to know something. Some of us come from what we would call dysfunctional families. You have not met a dysfunctional family until you've met the family of Jacob and his boys. Those guys were nuts. Okay? You had the thing with Shechem, or we say Shechem, Shechem. And Shechem, you know, their their sister Dinah gets, gets raped. And so, what was it? Simeon and Levi lie to the guys. And say, hey, 
we can get together on this. Why don't you just do that little surgical procedure? It might take you a few weeks to over to, to get better from it, but it's worth it, and we can we can we can get together on it. The men of Shechem go, hey, this is great, man. We can get their wealth. See, so Shechem has this idea of consuming the Christians. Simeon and Levi, they kill everybody in the recovery stage. You know what's funny? Jacob should have never been in Shechem. When he agreed to go to the land of Syria and visit 20 years with Uncle Laban, he was at Bethel, Bethel, and he was supposed to go back to Bethel. Instead, he went from Manuel, or the brook of Yabuk, over to Shechem, which is in the center of the country, and he was off track. And after that little incident, God used it for good and drove him to Bethel, where he then called upon the Lord, the very place he started out his life, his journey. Are you away from the Lord? Maybe you've lost your way and you're ricocheting off various places along the Christian map, but you're not in the place where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be back at the place where God spoke to your heart. You're back at the promises of God and back relying upon him in your long sojourn. And remember, when Jacob was on that sojourn, he got cheated by the greatest of cheats. That was Laban, blood re- or a, a, a relative, that guy. That's, you know, the cheater met the bigger cheat. What a deal. Maybe you're lost like that. I want to encourage you that this is your moment to go back to Bethel, where it all started for you. Jesus said this to the church of, of, of Ephesus. Remember from where you have fallen. Repeat what you did at first and repent. That's what he said, all ours. You get back. Change your way. Quit wandering around Shechem. It's going to get nasty there anyway. You get back home. You will go over to Bethel where I met you. Hmm? Just a little sidebar. Well, Joe, this family was dysfunctional in the highest way. And obviously he had the 12 sons. And Joseph was on the tail end. And, uh, and his boys went off to tend the sheep. Now they were in the south. And so they went north. And they went over to Shechem, and then they left there. That's ironic because they killed all those guys. Then they left there, went over to Dothan. Dothan is sort of northeast of there, and it's in one of the gateways into the Jezreel Valley. It's the southeastern gateway into the Jezreel Valley. And at Dothan, Joseph goes over there. Now, Joseph had a history with his brothers. As he grew up, he, it was evident that he had a God-given ability to interpret dreams, and dream, Joseph would have dreams. And some of those dreams were not favorably received by his family, even his mom and dad. And he would, when he told those dreams to his brothers, they go, oh, you think you're going to be bigger than us? You know what? You're a pipsqueak, right? Now, they didn't say that in the Hebrew, but it's in Price's translation due out this fall. So get your copy. Now, they, hate, they therefore despised him. They were jealous of him. They hated him. That was not the only reason, not just for the dreams. Dad had favorites. And Dad gave him a, coat, a, a, a covering, a coat of many colors. Now, to get a coat of many colors, it means you have to first weave the fabric, which is quite a big deal. Then you have to specifically dye a strip of fabric a certain color, and then sew them together. Now, dyeing fabric, if you went with to Israel with us, we'd take you to the Nazareth village. Nazareth villages, guess what? In Nazareth. And when we go there, we, we actually see an ancient loom and how they would make the fabric and how they would uh, 
have to dye it. And they'd had seashells of a certain color and roots of certain colors and how you would dye it over and over and then make the strip. That's what made it so expensive. It was a very labor-intensive document. And when he wore it, you can't miss the guy. Hey, there's Joe. How do you know? I'll just look at his coat. Oh, yeah. And every time those brothers were at home with Dad, Joseph, all he had to do was walk through and they go, there's the favorite. There he goes again. It's like he's gone back past me 20 times just to rub it in. Right? You see that? We call this a dysfunctional family. All right? You from a dysfunctional family? This one's got you beat. So what happens? Well, Dad sends Joe in his coat of many colors out to go check on the bros. Now, these brothers, they're not nice guys. All right? They see him coming a long way off. And they're already getting mad. They didn't even say hi. They're already mad. And he's a couple of miles, he's a mile away. There he is. Can't miss him, can you, Simeon? Yeah, no, I see him. Got that stinking, ugly coat. I don't think it would be ugly if they got it. We hate him. I hate him. Let's kill him. Yeah. Let's kill this guy. What is wrong with you? Right? You get arrested for that kind of thing. So they get, he comes up there. I'm just summarizing the story. Comes up there and he uh, presents himself and they grab him. No doubt they hit him. They beat him. They throw him to the ground. And boy, I tell you, they were going to kill him, but they decided to eat first. <laughs> How heartless is that? Let's throw him in a pit. They throw him in a pit. And all this time, you, based on other later testimony, Joseph is saying, no, don't, don't. I imagine they gagged him so he wouldn't talk. They sit down to eat. Reuben had said, hey, guys, maybe we should, maybe we could uh, just not do this violent act because he was hoping to rescue him. But while they're eating, Reuben's off doing something else. Reuben's the most responsible one, apparently so, although he had a little moral failure. And so while they're eating, Reuben's doing his thing. The, the other brothers, they're going, hey, why don't we sell them? Look, there's the caravan. It's a trade route that they're on. goes all the way to Egypt. Let's get, rid- let's get, let's get a little pocket change. We need, you know, I, I want to hit the casino on the way home anyway, right? And so they sell them. Imagine that gag. No, stop, don't sell me. I'm really their brother. No, no. He's always been nuts since we found this kid wandering around the fields. He's a pain to, you should take him. I'll tell you what, we'll make you a good deal. 30 pieces. What do you say? Right? Heartless. Absolutely heartless. Sells him. And all in one move, in one move Joseph is taken out of, his, out of his ethnicity and shoved into a country where he does not know the people, he does not know the language, he has no friends, he is totally isolated. Some of you feel like that. You're taken in a job in another place and you are just totally isolated. There's no one, you know no one, you don't speak the language, you are a Christian, you don't act like they do, you don't like the things they do, and as far as you're concerned, it's just you and four walls. And you feel just like Joe. Well, I want you to know that the goodness of God does not depend upon your circumstances. I'll say that again. The goodness of God is not dictated by your circumstances. Well, it gets worse from there, actually. 
he goes up for auction block, okay? Now, when you're a slave in the ancient world, you don't go on auction block with your clothes on because they want to inspect you. Does he have any defects in his quadriceps? We'd like to know because he's going to do a lot of heavy lifting. Is, he, is, he, is his back straight? Because he's going to need his back in our home. So he has no dignity before everyone else gawking at him and everybody's putting out bids. And the guy that wins the day is the guy that is actually the chief executioner of Pharaoh's regime. <laughs> what a bummer. Why couldn't I have gotten uh, picked up by the, you know, by the waterworks guy? Why couldn't I be the electrician's helper? I'm the slave of the executioner. I mean, what do you think he does if somebody messes up? He sharpens his axe. That's what he does. So he's got all this emotional turmoil, all this uncertainty, all this change, and all this, this nastiness. And I'm telling you, the, God, the goodness of God looks like it's gone. Until... God steps in. Now, in Genesis chapter 37, or excuse me, uh, chapter 39, it says something like this. Verse 4, and Joseph found favor in his sight. Sorry, verse 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight, that is the master executioner, and served him. And he made him overseer of, all, of his house and all that he had he put under his authority. Make no mistake, the goodness of God is not a short arm. He's not crippled. It's not in a sling. And no matter your circumstances, the goodness of God will still shine through. But notice he didn't take him out of his circumstances. The, pro, the idea, the way of God was to go through those circumstances, but you will taste my goodness along the way to give you hope, to give you strength, to give you energy. doesn't mean it's going to end, but it means I will sustain you. And I tell you, that sustained Job. That sustained him well. Every day he was in the house and he was put in charge of, of all of the servants. Can you imagine that? Blue team, you're in the dining room today. Green, you're in the kitchen. Red, you're in the basement. All right, let's move it, people. we got things to do. Huh? Can you imagine? I don't know if Joseph ruled like that. That's what I would have done because I'm power hungry, I'm sure. But you see that? Efficiency. Clockwork. Things were done. And Joseph was recognized by his superiors. But not just his superiors. Mrs. Potiphar. She had an eye for the young man probably maybe 20 years older, maybe 30. She was on the prowl. She would notice him every day. Hmm. There's that boy. Look at him go. Mr. Potiphar made a really good decision when she, he bought him. And she was like a volcano of lust. And, and she was um, a little bit forward. Come, Joe, lie with me. I mean, most men would think, wow, that would be the ultimate victory is, uh, to have a relation with the queen of the house. And Joseph wouldn't do it. You see, the goodness of God, even in that small amount of seeing him successful in the home, dictated his life. Some of you have experienced the goodness of God in your life and difficult circumstances 
And God is reminding you that his goodness will sustain you. And he's using that to reinforce your commitment to him. And you're on the verge of rejecting that commitment, of compromising and stepping across the line. Don't need to do that. Make the decision to trust his goodness and commit to his way. She came to him and she, she, she uh, made a proposition to him. Look in verse 7, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes, that's a very delicate way to say that, on Joseph and said, lie with me, very forward approach. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house and he has committed all that he has to my hand. How did that happen? Because the Lord was with him. That's what he's saying. The Lord was with me and did this. There is no one greater in this house than I. The Lord did that too. Nor has he kept back anything from me but you. And why? He's like, he's reminding her. And you're his wife, and that's why I don't, okay? How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see the theology? He never forgot the goodness of God. Are you forgetting the goodness of God? Are you? Let's let's freshen that tree. And let's recommit to trusting that goodness that will sustain us and see us through. This theme, this thing, this is why it takes so long to describe it. This theme is littered in all of Joseph's other experiences. The goodness of God guided him every step. Well, Joseph, as you know, the story is uh, propositioned, and she did it continuously. It wasn't a one and done. It was like daily, twice daily, whatever daily, weekly. And, you know, that would really wear a man down. You know how temptation is, and, and you know, you, you, you wear down, and you just, oh, okay, I'm just going to give in this once. No, it's not a one and done. It's one of many. No, do not mistake what temptation is. You give the flesh a single breath, it will take the rest of your breaths of your life. And so what happens is he's continuously resisting. God has given you the power to do that. He's given me that power, that ability, that grace in my own life. I call that the goodness of God. I'm so grateful for that. So Joseph, one day he's doing his job, just doing his job. And this lady comes after him and he refuses. He has to run away. She apparently grabs his garment, ends up, in her hand, he has to run away naked, and she sits there all day waiting for Mr. P to come home. Mr. P comes home, and she says, Oh, honey, I had this terrible experience today. You see that little slave boy you brought in here? He wanted to have advances at me. At me. And I screamed, ah. And he ran away, and look, I saved his garment to show you. You know what we call that? That is such a lie. Joseph did the right thing in the right way, in the right time, and now he's not rewarded for it. He's accused for it. Mr. P, here's the story. Probably didn't believe her because he could have cut off his head. He throws him in prison instead. I tell you, sometimes it feels like that. I thought we were enjoying the goodness of God. Now what's going on here? I'm in prison. I didn't do this. I'm wrong. I've been wrong. I've been cheated. I've been, I've been falsely accused. You've been falsely accused? I have. Those workplace, you know, they don't care about integrity. They care about you, you being squashed and they advancing. That's what goes on. 
And you're going to live that kind of life, and the goodness of God is going to sort of look like a distant memory. Don't stop believing in God's goodness. Because if Joseph never got out of Potiphar's house, he would never have had the prison experience. And if he never had the prison experience, he would have never got before Pharaoh. Would he? You think Potiphar would want to give up Joe? No. You've got to remove that attraction and put him in a more neutral situation. And guess what happens in prison? He is suddenly recognized as quite an administrator. Green team, we need you to do the dishes today. Red team, you are vacuuming the floor. Blue team, you're on latrine. Sorry, we'll switch tomorrow. Right? Man, the, the warden, the, 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 uh, the warden goes, this is great. I, can't, I wish I had more prisoners like you. And one day, out of the blue, these two boys have a dream. Each one has a separate dream, and, and they're, they're wondering about it. Joseph, he's attentive to those under his care. He says, hey, why are you guys so sad? What's, what's wrong? And, uh, and Joseph gets them to tell his dreams. We're in chapter 40 now. Verse 6, and Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them, and they saw they were sad. Just as chapter 40 of Genesis, verse 7. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him and custodian of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said, Well, we each had a dream, and we don't, we don't know what it means. Look at verse 9, or verse 8. And they said to him, We've had a dream, but there's no interpreter. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. He could have said, hey, I don't know if you know this, but you know, I can interpret dreams. So why don't you just tell Big Joe what's going on? I'll help you figure it out. He could have said that. But the goodness of God dictates his paradigm. And he said, interpretations belong to God. So if you want an interpretation, I can go to God and bring you an interpretation. I'm not sure I'd have the wherewithal to do that. Those ups and downs and, and lefts and rights and then this Mrs. Potiphar shenanigan. I'd be livid. But you see, the goodness of God dictated his reality. Is it dictating your reality? So what happened is he, you know the story that the baker, or excuse me, the butler tells about the fruit and squeezing it into the goblet of Pharaoh. And he says, well, that means that you're going to be in three days time restored and, and you'll, uh, you'll, he'll, he'll reinstate you as his, as his butler and, and really cupbearer. The baker goes, oh, how cool is that? Well, I got a dream too. And I had this the loaf of the bread. The birds came, picked out the, the bread and you know, that was it. And he goes, well, Actually, that means in three days' time, you're going to be executed and the birds will kind of eat your flesh. Are you sure you got a Ph.D. in interpreting dreams? I don't think so. Guess what? 72 hours later, everything happened. And the butler gets promoted back to his previous post. Joe says, hey, 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 remember me. Remember me. I'm not here righteously. I, I'm here. I was wrongly accused. Remember me. Speak to Pharaoh. 730 days later. 730 days later. He's remembered. I can just see Joseph in his cell. 
Here's when I told. Here's when the butler left, and you have all those four marks and a swash and four seven. You know what is it? Seven hundred of those. Man, I'd give up. Goodness of God was sustaining this man, even though he had every reason to disbelieve God. And you've got voices that are telling you you can disbelieve God, and you've got reasons that are on the wall. But you don't stop believing in God's goodness. Because one day, Pharaoh had a dream. And in Pharaoh's dream, sorry, I'm a little behind here. In Pharaoh's dream, he said uh, 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 he couldn't figure it out. And he contacted all the magicians and all the soothsayers, and they couldn't figure it out. And so he's kind of frustrated. And so while I'm sure he's just talking to his, his butler dude, and he says, you know, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Can't figure out this dream. And I'm sure the butler goes, now forgive me. Hey, boss, when I was in the slammer, appropriately put there by you, I had this guy, this guy, and, and I had a dream. And, uh, and the baker had a dream. We told our dreams to this guy. And he told us what they meant. And they happened exactly as he said. I'm sure Pharaoh goes, why are you talking to me? Go get this guy. Hey, I sound like Sylvester Stallone, don't I? Yeah, yeah. So they go get him. Joseph that morning did not wake up. Did not wake up thinking that he was going to be in front of Pharaoh. Goodness of God strikes again. 730 plus days later. They shave him up. They clean him up. In other words, they gave him a bath. And they said, Pharaoh wants to see you. He goes, okay. Goes up before Pharaoh. Pharaoh says to him, and now we're in chapter 41, verse 17. Uh, verse uh, 15, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one, and there is no one who can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, ready? It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Uh, The word there is Elohim or uh, Elohim. And so, you remember that Pharaoh was considered a deity in Egypt, you know, God. So what he's really saying is, I have a God that's bigger than you that will tell you what your dream means. I'm not sure I would have the moxie to say that to Mr. Pharaoh, right? Would you? Pharaoh, I know you're like famous and everything, but there's someone really bigger than you, and you're kind of a squeak in his presence. And so listen, he'll tell you what's going on, okay? That's the God of my God. Why did he do that? The goodness of God was never forgotten by Job. And God's goodness proved itself over and over again. And you know what Job was learning? I can trust the goodness of God. It doesn't end, it's not limited, and it's perfect in time, place, and occasion. And so he interprets the dream, which happened to deal with the famine in the land. And, and, And Pharaoh couldn't believe it. And then he gives some some political advice, some administrative advice. Maybe you should set a man over the the years of plenty so they can bank it so that when we have years of of less and famine, we'll have enough food. Pharaoh goes, my goodness, I can't believe it. 
you not only interpret dreams, you tell us how to fix our problem. Is there anybody as wise as this guy? Right? All those soothsayers are going, well, I, I, I think, uh, no, no, probably not. Makes him prime minister one day. Let me tell you something. The goodness of God is bigger than you can imagine. Nobody thought Joe, a little kid with a dysfunctional family, would be the prime minister of Egypt. And nobody, maybe, maybe that's you in the pew today, would think that God could undo the craziness of my life and actually make it something that would count for eternity. But I'm here to tell you today that God and His goodness is not short. God and His goodness is not short for this assembly, for your life, for your family members, for divorces, for estranged children, for deaths. The goodness of God will not be thwarted. You remember that verse in the New Testament? Where sin abounds, grace does much more about it. And the Greek is interesting. Way more. Way more than you can imagine. In other words, God will never let that which is evil win the day, but He will rewrite it so that the evil is buried. That's what He means. Well, you know the rest of the story. Phase four, as you can see here, um, the brothers come. You know, the, the thing is they have the seven years of plenty. They bank a bunch of food, seven years of famine. Everybody's running out of food. Eventually, all the Egyptians sign their life away to Joe. Joe owns everything, but he's smart enough to give them back some of their own land and produce so they could have a, a, a sense of, of, uh, uh, of stake in the game of economy and still provide taxes to Pharaoh in form of food. Smart man. The rest of the known world begins to come to Egypt, the breadbasket of the famine. And guess who comes? Joe's bros, right? They come. And they say, oh, it's funny. Jacob says, hey, what are you guys standing around here for? Oh, I don't know, Dad. Well, there's bread in Egypt, so go down in there and get some. Okay, Dad. So they go down to Egypt, and, you know, they're speaking Hebrew. They're foreigners. They're probably really well tanned. They come in. And Joseph, who's like in the headdress and the makeup and the eyeshadow, which I think would ruin it for me right there, he says, uh-huh, there they are. What kind of emotions would you, you ever get in that moment when you kind of like somebody's really frosted your nose and you sort of put it to bed and it's all put away and all of a sudden you see them at some event and the hair on your back goes ding. And the perspiration starts to come off your hand, your hands and your forehead. And you go, I want to kill him. Now, you don't say that out loud. You say that to yourself. But God still hears that. You see, this is the test of the goodness of God. Will the goodness of God dictate your reality so that even those who tried to kill you would be seen in a different light? That's the real test. Our lives are littered with thousands of people that have tried to hurt us, tried to mar us, maim us. And the goodness of God is what's going to equalize the day. Now, Joseph, I think he was growing here. And when he sees his brothers, as you know, he calls them to meet before them. They, the, the story is convoluted, but he, he throws them in jail for a couple days and he asks them to come out. And he says, uh, do this and live. 
because I fear God. And he sends them back with the food, puts their money back. They're mortified. Oh, no, what did we do wrong? We got our money back. You know, they're thinking it's a setup. They go back home. They tell, they, tell, uh, uh, they tell Dad everything. He asked us if we had another brother, and we had to answer him. How did we know what he was going to ask? I wish I hadn't said a thing. What were you thinking? Finally, they run out of food. They want to go back, and one of the brothers says, Hey, listen, it'll be on me. They all go back. And boy, Joseph, he recognizes them. You're spies. He had kept one of the men to to show how serious he was. He reunites them. He uh, gives them more of their food, puts their money back, puts a little, little uh, what was it, some sort of uh, kingly item in the bag of Benjamin. They get a little ways off. He sends his right-hand man after him, says, what are you doing stealing from the king? What are you doing stealing from the prime minister? Brings them all back. Those men come in. They are broken. They are so broken. He says, and they said, oh, no, I told you we're in such deep trouble. All of our sins against Joseph are coming back on us. And when he cried out to us, when he cried out to us and said, please, please don't do this, brothers. We didn't listen. Oh, this is our judgment. Joseph understands Hebrew. He's catching it all, even though now he's fluent in Egyptian. Finally, God, he, uh, they, uh, one of the brothers, the very one who had the idea, I think it was Simeon, who had the idea to sell him, comes up to him and he says, can I speak to you for a minute, Prime Minister? You see, you want this young brother, the youngest son, to stay, but the dad's life is bound up in this man. And if you, if you keep him, our father's going to die in tears back at home because he already lost his older brother of this mom, of the mom. So please, if you're going to keep anybody, you keep me. You keep me. Boy, sounds some like somebody I know. Joseph can't handle it. He goes off, he cries, he sends everybody out, brings them back in, and he says this. Chapter 45, verse 5. I'm almost done. Don't panic. I'll tell you when to panic. Joseph said to his brothers, verse 3, chapter 45, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? (laughs) Think about it. Joseph's here. Headdress, wig, gown, cape, makeup, jewelry. He says, I'm Joe. (laughs) If I'm in those brothers, I'm going, what? Are you smoking something? Right? I'm Joe. Does my father live? They're speechless. Oh, right? Right? So they came near. He said, please come near. The one thing they never did. And now Joseph asked them to come near to him. So they came near and they said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold to Egypt. Don't be grieved or angry with yourselves. It's okay. I get what happens. God had me come before you because you sold me here for God sent me here before you to preserve life. There's these two years of famine. There's still another five left. God has sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save lives by great deliverance. Do you get it? 
He understood the goodness of God and therefore the plan of God. And as a result of that, he could then bring that plan back to the very ones that wanted him dead and save the entire family. You know what? The goodness of God is really, really good. Joseph had to adopt that thinking for his life. Turn to chapter 50. The clock should speed up. You, un, you know that he was eventually moved his whole family over to the land of Egypt, to Goshen, the best of the land of Egypt. Pharaoh welcomed him, and they became very uh, uh, pro- productive ranchers and herdsmen for even Pharaoh himself. But one day, Jacob passes. They have a big funeral procession all the way back to Hebron where he was buried. Come back. The brothers are scared. Maybe Joe was only nice to us because dad was alive. Now that dad's gone, we are in a bad way. And so they come to Joe. They send some messengers and they said, hey, I don't know if you know this, but it was dad's final wish that when he passes, you'd be nice to us. Please. It was a very, very subtle way. Please forgive of their sin. They're actually asking like their dad asked so Joseph would be more sympathetic. Joseph is totally dumbfounded. Look at what it says. Chapter 50, verse 18. Then his brothers fell down before his face, just like his dreams, and said, Behold, we are your servants. We'll do anything and everything. We owe you our lives. Joseph said, Don't be afraid. Those are the words of the Savior. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid you lost your loved one. Don't be afraid, Peter, to follow me. Don't be afraid of this moment on the sea. Don't be afraid, widow of Nain. Don't be afraid, brothers. Don't be afraid. Oh, it sounds so like Christ. Don't be afraid. Yes, you meant it for evil, but look, God meant it for good. Don't you see? All of the evil and all of the nastiness and tension and conspiracy that you had, God reshaped it to make it good. That's what he's doing today. That's why you don't have to react. That's why you don't have to defend yourself. That's why you don't have to become the bouncer of Christianity. That's why you can actually rest in the goodness of God, let it color your entire vision of reality, and actually return kindness in the face of absolute evil. That can happen in your family. That can happen in your assemblies. That can happen at your workplace. That can happen with your children. Oh, listen, beloved, the goodness of God rules so much so that he wants his goodness to rule your reality don't you think we need that today don't you think with that in mind we could put our faith in the god who is good all the time and all the time he is good don't you think that the master of our existence Don't you think this king, who might not be safe, is indeed good? I give you Jesus Christ. 
I give you the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I give you the King, the good King. Trust Him, cling to Him, relish Him, worship Him, exalt Him. But our King is good. And Dr. Dawkins, who says otherwise, you'd be silenced in the presence of my king. Let's pray. Father, we've come to a place in our day where it's time to close. But I pray, Lord, the Spirit of God would not allow the word to close from our hearts, but that throughout this day, tomorrow, next week, and months and years to come, we will remember the goodness of God That's all I'm asking. We would remember and live according to you. We need this, Father. You know we do. We're sheep that need this kind of shepherding. And I pray, bring it to this assembly. Bring it to our communities. Bring it to evangelical Christianity. Bring it so that the glory of God is reestablished in the temple of God today. And men and women will visit and they'll say, surely God must be in this place. Father, that's it, isn't it? It's the, it's the blueprint for revival. It's the blueprint for souls to be saved and to be regenerated and souls to be returned to you. Father, oh God, let not this pass. Bend your ear to our cry. Bend your ear to our pleading and begging. We pray. We like to also express to you our thanksgiving. Thanking you for the food thanking you for our fellowship in Jesus. Thank you for those who've labored for us. In Jesus' name, amen.